Welcome to Heritage Fellowship's Sermon of the Week. We hope you're encouraged and challenged as we study the Word of God together. This special edition podcast comes from our annual Overflow Conference. For more information, please connect with us online at heritagefellowship.us slash overflow. Well, I am delighted as always to be here. My lovely wife is with me this weekend. Hallelujah. Raise this up a little. So I am uh, just a happy man this morning. What day is it? Oh, that's good. Today is my favorite day, said Winnie the Pooh. Amen. Well, This has been kind of a really intense weekend, not kind of, it has been very intense. And as I have observed your responses to the theme, and not only the theme, but I believe the call of God, that uh, I have been moved, deeply moved by your tears, your intensity, your determination to serve God. And so this morning, I want, first of all, to bring a little lightness to our togetherness. Turn to your neighbor and say, would you please lighten up a little? (laughs) Just lighten up, you know? I was in uh, 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 Jerusalem a few, uh, actually was in June, and... I was staying with some friends from China, and I came over for breakfast one morning, and I said, would you all just lighten up a little? God's still on his throne. He loves you. He's not mad at you. That's good news in and of itself. You know, God's not mad at you. So just lighten up. I think I'll start a podcast called Lighten Up. And every day I'll come on with a different hat. And say, come on, church, lighten up a little, lighten up a little. But I want to begin this morning with a, uh, you can, is that up there? Oh, it is up there. I want to begin with a a video. You know I'm always into that. And uh, the the lead into this, well, I'm not even going to explain it. Uh, Just enjoy it. Just Just say, he told me to lighten up. I'm going to lighten up. So let's dim the lights. If you brought popcorn, this would be a good time to pull it out. And let's enjoy the message.
something for you, too. I should have given it to you before, but I was just scared. And the thing is, I'm not scared anymore. You know what I mean? I'm starting to. I love that. That is just so good. I love the frog. Don't you love the frog? And they cut out the best part, the kiss. I, I don't understand why they didn't just follow through, but Disney stopped right there, you know. Oh. But the lyrics are so good to this song, and it really describes... It really describes what happens to us when we first encounter someone that suddenly enamors us. The, the word enamor means, you know, to just suddenly, instantly fall in love. And so, let me read the, the lyrics to you because this not only describes my first encounter with the one who is now my wife, but it also describes my encounter for the very first time with Jesus. It says, all those days watching from the windows, all those years outside looking in, all that time never even knowing just how blind I've been. Now I'm here, blinking in the starlight. Now I'm here, suddenly I see. Standing here, it's all so clear. I'm where 
I'm meant to be. And at last I see the light. The world has somehow shifted. And at last I see the light. And it's like the sky is new. It's warm and real and bright. And the world has somehow shifted. All at once, everything looks different. Now that I see you. You can see by what's up on the screen <laughs> that I am a hopeless romantic. And my wife and I so enjoy the Hallmark Channel that we will watch, watch a movie three times in a row. Now that is sick, isn't it? I said, honey, I've seen this. Yeah, I've seen it too. Well, let's watch it again, you know. And you get to the point where you know the script, you know what's going to happen. It always starts with a scene in the city. You know, there's the city. And then the camera pans in on the, you know, the stage is set and the camera pans in and you have the, the characters in the movie and always there's got to be a skating rink and a Santa Claus. <laughs> they read that right? I know, you, you are hooked as well. And, you know, there's no violence and there's no swearing and there's no uh, inappropriate scenes. It's just good. And you kind of know what's already coming. You know that there's going to be competition in the relationship and all of that stuff. But I got to say, Hallmark Channel's good for the soul. And uh, if you haven't developed, I'm, I'm kind of talking to the guys now. If you, if you really haven't developed an appetite for Hallmark and you, your wife really loves the channel, submit. Just submit, because she has a need to be romantic. You know, there's something about my first encounter with Eunice that it was kind of, uh, it was just an amazing moment because I was attending a church and her father was assigned to be the pastor of our church. And um, she walked into church one morning. Well, you can change that if you would. Tell me when it comes up. We there? Are we there yet? Okay. <laughs> That's getting a little ahead of the story. But... You know, I'm standing in the foyer, and her father walks in, uh, awesome man of God, awesome man of God, and behind him walks this beautiful redhead. And I, I thought, whoa, there's another reason now to come to church. <laughs> and it wasn't anymore, come on, son, get up out of bed and put your best clothes on. We're going to church. It was, mom, come on. 
I want to get there early, you know. And uh, I was enamored by this beautiful woman. And uh, I think I have a few pictures up here. Let's go to the next one. I have this picture on my desk because I love this picture. It's, can't you just see the uh, mischievousness <laughs> and the full of lifeness? And, uh, you know, I look at this every day and I still say to myself, I just want to know all that went on back there, you know, all the things that happened. But here's another picture of her and uh, her and I and our first child. And I was pastoring. Boy, you can tell that's an old one, right? And I was pastoring the church where this was taken. No, this is her father's church, actually. And uh, then there's another picture. You can go ahead and put that up. This was a little later. Wow, isn't that a beauty, huh? You can whistle. <laughs> this was taken in Mexico we were, when we were on a mission trip. And then we'll bring you up to speed. This is, this is a little more current. But there was a moment in our relationship when we were in high school together. I think I was 15. She was 19. She's always been older than me and a lot, sometimes a lot wiser. But uh, back in the, those days, you know, when you wanted to tell somebody you liked them, you kind of wrote a note and sent it via UPS or by a, by a friend. So I remember writing this note saying, I love you. And I gave it to one of her best friends at lunch, and I said, would you, would you give this to Eunice? And then came the waiting. How would she respond? Would she love me back? And I couldn't wait till the end of the day when I got the return message. I love you too. Mm. Well, That was the first question, do you love me? And I want to read something from the Song of Solomon that describes kind of what we just saw in the, in the video clip. This is from the Song of the Solomon, the Song of Solomon. It's called The Beloved's Request. It's in uh, chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. It's called The Voice of the Beloved. The voice of my beloved, behold, he comes, leaping upon the mountains, skipping upon the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, he stands behind our wall. He's looking through the windows, gazing through the lattice. My beloved spoke and said to me, rise up my love, my fair one, and come away. For lo, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone, the flowers are appearing on the earth, the time of singing has come. 
and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree puts forth her green figs, and the vines with the tender grapes give a good smell. Mm. Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. Oh, my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the secret place of the cliff, let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. For your voice is sweet, your face is lovely. Wow. The man who wrote this wrote it early in his life. He wrote another book that we have in the Bible called the Book of Proverbs. So the Song of Solomon is his teenage perception, his youthful enamoring. The book of Proverbs is, are, are the things that he has learned on the journey. And the book of Ecclesiastes is the last chapter. Interesting evolving of Solomon's perception of his life. Beautiful story about the bride and the bridegroom. So I want to say to you, the first question is, from the Lord is, do you love me? Do you love me? And if you say yes, the second question comes. Will you marry me? Do you love me? Will you marry me? Now, I want to say that the marriage hasn't happened yet. We are in the engagement season. So we are in the enamored season, the engagement season. Do you love me? Will you marry me? Here is an engagement ring. The sign that we are committed to one another. So yes, our yes is all about loving God. It's about loving him. It's about being enamored with him. It's about being swept off our feet by his beauty and his kindness. All at once, everything has shifted. Now that I see you. When I saw this beautiful woman who was then a teenager, everything shifted in my world and few years later, when I gave my life to Jesus Christ, everything shifted in my world again. Again and forever. So we are, we are in this place where it's easy to say yes when you are enamored. 
It's easy to say yes when you are smitten. And the sky is different. And the fog has lifted. And suddenly your eyes are open and you see for the first time God's love. And you embrace the Son of God, our Redeemer, our Messiah, our Bridegroom. Amen? But you know what can happen in the journey? What can happen is our love can grow cold. That enamored moment can dissipate. And when it does, and it usually does, we're left with cultivating our love for God. Strengthening and keeping alive that love that God has put in our heart, that love that we have for him, because his love never changes. But our love can change. And so when Jesus wrote to the churches, when he spoke to the churches in Revelation, he talked about the loveless church. He, he said, these things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil, and you have tested those who say they are apostles and they are not and have found them liars, and you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I mean, that's a long list of to-dos. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You have left your first love. Uh how easy it is for that to happen. And so he says, remember therefore from where you have fallen and repent and do the first works or else I will come to you quickly, remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. We can get so, be, so busy doing that our being in love gets lost. God made us to be, not to do. We are human beings, not human doings. I think just like Piglet said to Winnie the Pooh when he held his hand, he said, Winnie said, what? What do you want, Piglet? He said, I don't really want anything. I just want to be sure of you. And I keep thinking, I see this picture of, of God coming up behind us and saying, I just want to be sure of you. Do you still love me? It's all about that. It's all about that. Then there's the lukewarm church. To the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things says the amen, the faithful and true witness, 
you could say these things says the yes. The faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, I know your works that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you're lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, you make me sick to my stomach. I'll vomit you out of my mouth. Because you see I'm rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who says yes, do you still love him? I like what it says here. It says, this is my advice to you if you're neither hot nor cold, if you're, if you're lukewarm. He says, you need to buy some gold from me. You need to buy some righteousness from me, some white garments. You need to buy and get some ISAP from me. And I always wondered what that meant. And then I discovered that the gold represents intimacy with God. The closer you are to God, the more gold there is. In fact, when you get into the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle, you discover that it's all gold. The walls are gold. The floor is gold. The roof is gold. The Ark of the Covenant is gold. The cherubim over the ark guarding his presence, gold. The mercy seat, gold. And so I think what the Lord is saying here is, come back home. Say, come back home. Mm. You've been gone too long. You've grown lukewarm or cold. Come back home. White clothing means priesthood. We would think it means righteousness, but I think he's talking to the saints already. They are righteous. I think it means return to your priesthood. And what does that mean? It means ministering to him. And then he says, get some eye salve. You need your eyes opened again. You, you're deceived, you're blind. Do you see me? Do you love me? Put the eye salve on. So, our initial yes, which is an enamored yes, can wane 
And we have to maintain that love. You've been married a long time. There's certain things you do to light that spark again. Amen? But once you, once you say that initial yes, and you become engaged to God, you might say, you're born again, you're engaged. You are the bride and he is the bridegroom. That implies you're not yet married, right? Right? A little, are you awake out there? Turn to your neighbor, look right in his eyes or her eyes and say, are you in there? So when we say that first yes, there's an abandonment to it. There's, a, there's an abandonment about yes. It's not just surrender. I think that's true. It is surrender, but it also involves a degree of abandonment, a, a, a kind of a healthy carelessness, if you will. And, and so there's another slide up here. There was a, during the Civil War, there was a, uh, a signal officer in the, in the American Navy, and there was a battle in Mobile Bay, and they were, they were charging the, 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 uh, the Northern Forces Navy was charging into the harbor, and one of the ships that was ahead of them exploded. And the smoke was filling the harbor, and all the ships are full bore coming into the harbor, and someone shouted, there are torpedoes in the harbor. Now, you have to understand, in those days, the mines that were put in the water were the shape of torpedoes. And they, had, they were wired to land, so that when the ships came near the torpedo, the, the people controlling them would ignite them or, you know, explode them when the ship got near them. And so they realized that there were mines in the harbor, and, and so the, uh, the Captain Farragut was his name. He was up on the staff, way up on the, on the mast, all the way up on top, and he's signaling all the, all the other ships, and they all want to retreat. And he says... Forget the torpedoes, full speed ahead. He didn't actually say forget. <laughs> but since this is a family church, I will, I will not say what he really said. You can look it up. But he said, the torpedoes, full speed ahead. And that's kind of what happens when, you know, when we engage in this relationship of yes, because you see, self-preservation is an enemy to yes. If you enter into yes with God or yes with your spouse and you have this concept of 
self-determination and self-preservation, you are in trouble. Self-preservation will keep you from fulfilling your destiny. It will keep you from completing your God-given assignment. Yes has a little clause in it. You need to read the fine print. I love you. Will you marry me? Yes, I'll marry you. And then you stand at the altar and make your vows. But there's a little, little clause. You know how they do that on the TV? They put up the advertisement, and then there's this whole bunch of small print on the bottom. It's impossible to read, and it's only there for a half a second. And you want to you wanna go back and say, well, I wonder what that was all about. You know, when it, It's almost like... You make, yes, God, okay, die. <laughs> Amen? Say, yes, God, oh, yes, that's, yes, God, all right, die. Really? <laughs> Self-determination is the seedbed for idolatry. Because what you have done is made yourself God. I like what Joshua said. He said, you decide what you want to do. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Whatever it means. He says, if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which are your fathers and they are on the other side, or the gods on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I bought a, a mezuzah when I was in Israel last time, a few months ago, and I put it up on my doorpost. As you come in the door, well, I'm not Jewish, but I got to tell you, I am Jewish. I met this rabbi in uh, Jerusalem, in the old city, and I uh, hey, come here, and he said, "Are you Jewish?" I said, "Yes." He knew I wasn't Jewish. <laughs> he said, "Who's your mother?" Because see, in 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 the Jewish culture, you track your identity through your mother. I said, no, 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 it's not about my mother, it's about my rabbi. Oh, okay, who's your rabbi? Yeshua. He got this big grin on his face like, I see where you're coming from. And we had a great conversation. How many of you know we're grafted in? Our roots are in Israel. We, we are nourished from the roots of that vine and that olive tree. So, why yes? Because God so loved the world. Because he loves you and me. 
Then abides faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is what? Is love. Not only is yes all about God's love, but yes is the portal to your purpose. It's the doorway to your destiny. And the longer you hold out from saying yes, the longer it will take for you to achieve and accomplish all that God wants you to do. And let me say, it's not a, yes is not about doing something. It's about God building character in you. I hope you got that. The word yes is the doorway to your future. It is the means of fulfilled potential. But there is a cost to saying yes. And this is a part I wasn't sure I wanted to get to in the message this morning, but it's unavoidable. You can go to the next slide. This is called setting out from yes. You see the bride and the bridal party, where are they heading? To the wilderness. Say, oh boy, I can't wait to get to the wilderness. Oh. You see, the cost of saying yes is that the initial yes means I agree to keep saying yes. It's like my little grandson or my nephew, uh, and we were visiting them. He was just a little boy, and he's in the hallway. I was going to ask somebody to bring me a football today so I could really demonstrate this, but he's kneeling down in the hallway, crouched down, and he's got the ball. He's holding on to the ball, and he's saying, Seti? 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 Wrecked? Go! And he took off down the hallway. I mean, he had the ball, and he was on his way. And here's, here's what we are. We're saying, we're like the wide receiver. We're out there saying, throw it here. I'm here. I'm open. Throw it to me. Throw it to me. And the ball comes at you, and you got it, and you're blindsided. <laughs> Tackle. Next thing you know, you're down on the ground. There was a price to catch that ball. And when we, 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 in our lives, we say, give me the ball, Lord. I want to carry the ball. Just give me the ball. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Give me the ball. And he gives us the ball, and bam. We find ourselves headed for the wilderness. You want me to go where? He says, yes, Lord. Okay. Go out into the wilderness. Where? What? Me? Wilderness? I didn't think that's what yes meant. 
I thought it was Hershey's chocolate bars with almonds. I thought it was uh, easy life. How many of you know that's not the case? In fact, the wilderness is where he takes us to fulfill our yes. So, let me give you a few examples from the Bible. Abraham, you know, God comes to Abraham and he says, Abraham, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I want you to get up and leave. Get out of your country. Leave your family. Leave your father's house. And I will show you a land and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Thank you, Lord. And he packed up and headed for the wilderness. He had no idea what he would encounter. But not only that, God tested him again to see if his yes was genuine. Bring your son and sacrifice him to me. So Abraham is seen going up with his son. God wants to test him and confirm his yes. And God really said, Abraham, I just wanted to see if you really meant it when you said yes. Not this, Lord. Really? You want me to make this sacrifice, Lord? It will tear my heart out. I, I just, you know, how can I do this? You see, that's God's yes to us, isn't it? Hmm. And then there's Joseph. You know, Joseph, he was a dreamer. And he made the mistake of sharing his dreams with others. But that was necessary because it was the others that got him into the wilderness. And so they threw him in a well, a dry well. And I have to say, and this is another message altogether, but the, the, the whole image of a well is a place where God births you into your destiny. And so for Joseph, he was thrown in a well and then sold to, to a caravan headed through the wilderness to Egypt. Hmm. Amazing. And then there's Moses. I mean, Moses, it says he saw a bush. It was burning, but it was not consumed. And so he went to check it out you're interested in checking out burning bushes, if you draw close to God and you see the purpose of God in that flame and the, and the assignment of God and you acknowledge it with yes, God is continuing to send you on your journey, your destiny. And so 
Moses saw the burning bush, and he didn't say yes. He said, can I get out of this somehow? I can't talk. I stutter. What do I have? What is in your hand? Take that rod. That'll do. And he went down and freed Israel from Egypt. Then there's Israel's yes, the whole nation. Now, it's not only individuals, but now it's the people. And we're here gathered this morning as the people of Heritage Fellowship. Like Israel, we have been freed into the, into the love of God, by the love of God, and our yes has responded to him. But as a people, God has an assignment on this house. You can say, yes, Lord, we are ready. Israel says, yes, I brought you out of the the regular population, I've made you my witnesses, you are my disciples, you are my ambassadors, now let's get going. And we get out there as God reveals fully what his yes is to this house. And you say, hmm, I didn't expect this. There's no water out here. There's no food out here. And then, God grows silent for like 40 days. There's no anointing on the preaching. Prayer seems to fall to the ground in about 40 days. Somebody says, you know what? Let's just build a golden calf right here and worship. We got to do something. Let's just worship a golden calf. And Moses comes down to see what's going on in the camp. And he takes the word of God and he smashes. The Hebrew rabbis talk about how God wrote the commandments on the stones, and when Moses smashed it, the letters lifted off the stones and ascended back to God. Wow. Assignment called back. It would have been better for us to just stay the way we were. Now, I'm talking out of wonder because I don't know what God is going to require for this house. I I think I could suggest some things. I think I have some adumbrations. That's a good word. Adumbrations, the word for today. How many of you know what that means? Anybody? Foreshadowings. Senses. Adumbration. How about Jesus, yes? Jesus said yes. Where did he end up? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And he was seen running into the wilderness. A yes is always accompanied accompanied by a journey into the wilderness. It's biblical. It's over and over and over again in the scriptures. I love what happened to Paul. Paul said yes, and 
you know, he went about preaching the gospel. He was so dynamically changed, and he, you know, he, he had to escape a city. They put him in a basket and lowered him over a wall at night so he could escape from, from being stoned to death and killed. And it says Paul went into the wilderness. I think he spent three years in the wilderness. My, I may be off two or three years in the wilderness, but Paul came out of the wilderness empowered by God. And this is what he said. He said, I sought no man to teach me the things of God. I went into the wilderness to be taught by him. Isn't this a happy message? Well, amen. But I will say this. The Lord's discipleship roadmap looks the same for all of us. You don't say yes and escape the wilderness. But I encourage you to keep your eyes on the prize. Keep your eyes on the unseen realm. I fix, Paul said, I fix my eyes on the on the unseen realm. Amen. Keep your eyes on the prize. Let's, let's put the next one up. You can click it again. Now, I got in trouble yesterday. Big time. What do you see in the first one? What do you see? How many of you see a duck. Look at that. How many of you see a rabbit? Well, there are more rabbits than ducks in here. But I want you to understand something. They're both there at the same time. So what you're seeing is two things at once, but you don't realize it because you're not able, you're not able, your, your mind is not able to separate. It can only see one thing. So when you say, ah, yes, you're not seeing what's there because you can't see it yet. Same with the next one. Now, the next one got me in trouble. How many of you see an old woman? How many of you see a young woman? Well, I made the mistake of saying that this kind of looks like Lisa Price. And I was talking about the young woman. <laughs> but her sister said, he's in big trouble now. What does he think he's doing? So I just want to correct that for all who were here yesterday. I'm redeeming. This is a moment of redemption. All the progress in the kingdom of God is by faith. The realm of yes is the realm of faith. We say yes. Go ahead. We say yes because it's the realm of faith. You can go ahead and advance that. What is that? That's the olive tree or the fig tree. That's the dead fig tree. Listen. God's, uh, Jesus spoke to the tree and... 
He knew the minute he spoke it, the tree was dead. Let me just say this. God's word in your mouth is just as powerful as his word in his mouth. So as you are on the journey in the wilderness and God is building character because you said yes, remember the word of God is reliable. It's, it's dependable. And it must be spoken. Nothing happens in the kingdom of God unless it is spoken. The currency of the kingdom is the word of God. Even God himself did not act until he first spoke, and then the Holy Spirit responded. He said, if you have faith as small as a grain of mustard seed, and you say to this mountain, now the interesting thing is, we think <clears throat> he means faith in God. That's not what he means. He means faith in the word. If you believe in the power of my word and you say it, you will receive it. I also want to say to you that we are headed for persecution. This nation and Christianity in general is headed for persecution. It's already happening. Did, we, did you put that up there? It's already happening. Bombing, executions. There's a book called, I think it's called Mystery Babylon. I recommend to you. And it talks about what's coming. As your eyes are on the Middle East, you cannot help but say, something's brewing, something's brewing. We will not escape it here. We live in a nation where good is evil and evil is good. And we are headed for persecution right here in Tennessee and everywhere else. And so this moment for this house is critical in terms of what's ahead. It really is important that you understand it. How many of you have seen the movie Hacksaw Ridge? That's amazing how that man says, in the midst of this battle where, where so many are wounded and killed, he's lying up there on the cliff saying, give me one more, Lord, give me one more, Lord. And I just want to say that's a picture of what's coming. And our passion is, Lord, if I could just reach one more soul for you. If I could just reach one more and bring them to safety, and bring them to you. Give me one more, Lord. Mm. Well, the church is an interesting place because we have several different types of uh, people who are involved in the church, and they... they They are the people who uh,
are almost Christians. Almost Christians. Say almost Christians. Now that's, that's biblical because they're, they're observing, but they haven't said yes yet. It's like witnessing, was it Pontius Pilate or what? It was Pontius Pilate, and he said, almost you persuade me to be a Christian, almost. And there are people like that who are waiting to be persuaded. And then there are clandestine Christians. Those are the ones who sneak into the kingdom. And that was part of the... That it was part of the process when I was, you know, growing up early on. We'd go to evangelistic meetings, and the evangelists would say, all right, every head bowed and every eye closed. Is there anyone here tonight who wants to sneak into the kingdom? Just lift up your hand. But it's a trick. Because then he says, now you all come on forward. <laughs> you see, there are those who want to be clandestine Christians. I don't want anybody to know I'm undercover here. And then there are tepid saints. We've talked about them already. Half-hearted, a half yes, a half no. A Christianity that's convenient and comfortable and doesn't require commitment or sacrifice. So, I really think that we're engaged to Jesus. Our yes is an affirmation that we've fallen in love with him. And we're in the season of engagement where to engage means to the gears mesh. When you engage, you're not only committed, but the gears mesh. The engine is engaged. And so we're living in a season of engagement. And I don't know if there's anyone here this morning who has said that first yes to God. But I truly believe that there are people here from whom God is expecting a new yes, a fresh yes, maybe a fresh commitment to say, yes, Lord. What's, let me ask this question now. What is the one thing, the one thing, say one thing, what's the one thing God is after in your life? that you haven't surrendered. You know what it is. You know what it is already. It's like you don't have to, oh man, let me pray about this. It's like God's been after it for a long time. He said, would you surrender that to me today? That one yes that I'm looking for, that one thing, it's not the big yes. Because guess what? There's a wedding coming. Amen? 
And there's a huge celebration coming. And they're preparing the, hu the biggest banquet you have ever couldn't even imagine how big this banquet is in heaven. The marriage celebration of the Lamb. Because this is what Jesus said. He said, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And if I go away, I will come again and we'll get married. And we'll get married. So in, in that tradition, it was always the custom for the groom to propose and then leave. And so he said, now take this bread and this cup as my promise to you that I'm coming back to get you. So when you take the cup and the bread, one of the aspects of that is Jesus' promise, we'll drink this new in my kingdom when I come to get you. And then he said to the virgins, he said, go and fill your lamps. Make sure your lamps are ready because he, he'll come when you least expect it. If he comes at night, you need oil in your lamp. And we've gotten to the place where, oh, well, he's not going to come in my lifetime. <laughs> I don't know. Be ready. Be vigilant. Keep your lamps trimmed. Keep your yeses current because he's coming to receive his bride. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Please join us online at heritagefellowship.us or in person in Jefferson City, Tennessee, as we encounter God, touch lives, and impact nations.